Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. I am going to get started. And I see that there are a few um, repeat attenders. I'm happy to see you. And I want to apologize that my opening will sound uh, similar. But for the benefit of those who are here for their first focus group, I want to introduce and sort of frame our talk this morning. Good morning again. I am Darren Katz, the very proud and excited incoming head of school at Hillel. And on behalf of my fellow administrators who are on the Zoom, I wanna thank all of you for taking time out of your morning to join us to discuss our reopening plans for the fall. You, our parents, play a tremendously valuable part in this reopening process as we continue our work to make our reopening in the fall the safest and healthiest possible. So as you hopefully read in my email last week, June 9th, our campus will reopen for in-person learning unless government regulations prevent us from doing so. And it looks like that possibility is less and less each day. So we are campus will reopen. Our campus reopening task force chaired by John Pitcher, Hillel's chief operating officer, in consultation with our medical advisor and our academic leaders who are on this call today, believe that all Hillel students will be able to return to our facility on a daily basis in the fall, albeit with physical distancing guidelines in effect. So it goes without saying, we are blessed with a spacious campus, flexible classrooms, extensive indoor and outdoor spaces, and one of the lowest student-teacher ratios among any school in the area. This allows us to implement all necessary safety and hygiene protocols while still emphasizing the essential skills that Hillel in, imbues in all students, creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, community, and of course, our core Jewish value. So we are planning for modifications to some of our normal school routines like lunch and recess and physical education, which we will speak about later. But I want to emphasize that we are committed to providing a complete range of academic and co-curricular program, including all specialties. It is very important that I note that in every conversation we have about next year and in every parent focus group we've had, we stress the paramount importance of your children's social emotional health. While we must abide by regulations provided by the CDC and the state, please know that it is of the utmost importance that we want your children not to be afraid to come to school. We want them to just be kids and be happy and engaged and excited to be there. And Kim Love, who is on this Zoom, will speak to that later. Now, we are also planning for two other scenarios, knowing that it may be necessary to have periods, hopefully short periods, of remote learning next year. Our educational task force, chaired by Principal Melissa Michelson, has already begun working to ensure that our faculty are prepared to move swiftly from on-campus learning to remote learning should the need arise at any point next school year. So as Andrea Jenkins will speak about in a little bit, we are looking at all models of asynchronous and synchronous instruction um, and evaluating how to best meet the needs of our students and ensure that they continue to be engaged remotely while being mindful of the amount of screen time that is developmentally appropriate 
for rising fourth and fifth graders. All fourth and fifth graders next year will be provided with a device. So if we are teaching remotely, that will allow for more synchronous instruction to occur. And then lastly, we recognize that there may be students, faculty, uh, families, and staff who may have a heightened health risk or just not be ready to return to our facility. So one of these scenarios we are planning for is the flexible model in which on-campus learning with physical distancing will happen concurrently with the remote learning option. In all honesty, this is the model that requires the most careful planning and we are working diligently on this. So let me frame our discussion today. Our focus group will be an open dialogue to give you the opportunity to ask questions, voice concerns, and give us your thoughts. Thank you to those parents who did submit questions ahead of time because they gave us a sense of the pulse of the community. And what we found is that those questions fell into the following buckets. Physical distancing procedures, how lunch and recess will work, what will the remote schedule look like, health and safety protocols in general, and then some questions about tuition. Please understand that there may be answers we do not have yet because we do not have the return to school uh, guidelines in detail from Governor Whitmer's educational task force. And of course, we have to see the course of the virus over the summer. Today, we will be honest about what we know, what we do not yet know, and when we hope to have answers. Hope being the key word in that sentence. I do want everyone to know that this focus group is being recorded so that we can refer back to it as, as necessary. So I now wanna open up the floor per se and ask someone to start with questions or comments and we look forward to a robust discussion. I have two questions that are maybe related but maybe not, but I'll just lay them out um, together. One is that I really appreciate what you were saying about all the specialties being in place. And in general, I feel like um, really having an eye on our kids' creativity um, is an important support to their mental health. And so I wanted to hear more about that and how that's kind of being thought about and prioritized. And then the second thing also about mental health is that m one of my concerns is um, the health and well-being of the teachers and other adults who interact with our students and how safe and comfortable they'll feel and how their well-being will trickle down to the kids. So I just also wanted to hear about that. All right. Thank you, Erica. Andrea, Melissa, do you want to talk about specialties? Yeah, I can, I can talk about specialties. And um, one thing that we know about specialty classes, I believe students had um, at minimum one and likely two specialty classes every single day. Um, we don't see much of a change in that um, in a model next year. Uh, specialty classes will still be offered, all, every single one of them. I see Missy Borman's on here as a, as a parent, but you know, she, she has her, her science classes that are still going to happen. So, um, so that piece of it we know is central to or is, is a key component to the um, Hillel experience. And so as we design schedules for um, our students, that will certainly be a, a, a piece to it, whether we are in, on campus or if it's a flexible model or if it's, um, 
if we have to close for some reason and go completely remote, we'll continue again. Um, one thing that happened this um, spring that we learned from and we adjusted as we went along, and I think Darren has a, a couple words for those stages, um, is that we, you know, we're slower in rolling out the specialty classes to, to see how they would fit in with the um, core academic subjects. And so we um, iterated several schedules for specialty classes and I think landed on something that ended up being more predictable. And whatever we roll out in the fall will certainly be a predictable model again that um, people won't be you know, I'm not sure what class is on what day and where to find the link. We will have something that's predictable set and the students and parents know where to go with specialty classes. So thank you, Andrea. Um, Kim, did you want to add something to that? And then we can talk about staff. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add a little tidbit. And um, Erica, you and I definitely speak the same language. So I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you. But we know that we're returning to a very different school and environment then we left and we're taking a trauma-informed school approach um, what has happened with this pandemic has affected all of us um, our children you as parents us as staff and so we are spending time this summer learning and um, planning for how we're going to meet um, that unique set of circumstances and the special um, challenges that are going to come with returning to school after a pandemic. Um, so we're looking at it very broad and not student or faculty specific. We know that we are gonna have to put things in place that are gonna meet the needs of the community as a whole. What that looks like yet, we don't know, but it's definitely on the radar and definitely something we're planning for. And if you wanna help us with the parenting piece, I'm all in with you. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always available to help. Thanks. And I, I, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Andrea. I also think just linking on to your, your question about the mental health of teachers, you know, it's up to us as leaders to have those check-ins with our teachers. And luckily, we are such a collaborative school. And, you know, within each community, the teachers really, really depend on each other. And um, it's really there's some really, really beautiful relationships, but just checking in with our staff on a regular basis, because we always say if a student's social emotional well-being isn't there, then their academic isn't going to be as, as high as it could be. It's the same with teachers, as you were saying, right? If, if, or leaders, if, if, our, if our emotional state isn't at our best, we're not gonna be giving our best to, to our students or for us, our teachers. So we'll do regular check-ins, um, you know, and, and my, my, I would love to have a wellness room at Hillel Day School right now with coronavirus that, that's going to be put on, on hold of a sharing space like that. But we'll find opportunities to make sure that our staff is at the best that, that they can be. It, you know, it's a, some of the scenarios provide challenges. We know that, you know, and we just have to, to make sure that we check in and provide as much as possible that, to help them. I would just say, Erica, it's something this summer we will be doing throughout the summer as well. So check-ins, like the conversation is ongoing. It's not just we're waiting till August. We'll be in touch with teachers throughout the summer because we know things are developing so quickly so that we're on the emotional pulse of how they're feeling with things that they're coming out. So it's something that like on a weekly, you know, throughout the summer basis, we're in touch. 
Okay, thank you, Erica, for those questions. Um, yeah, I, I hope it's a, a, the right question for this group, but um, I've been thinking and a little worried about the transition um, from fourth to fifth, just because it's usually a pretty big one. And they didn't, you know, you obviously didn't have the opportunity to kind of walk them through the steps. So is there's, I guess one is, have you thought about that? I'm sure you have, and how are you thinking about it? And two, is there, are there things that we can do during the summer to help prepare? Because like from someone, from someone who has a child who's already thinking about it before the last day of school, um, it would be great to sort of prepare him if you, if you have some thoughts about it yet. Hi. <laughs> um, thanks, Rebecca. So yes, it is very heavily on our mind. We know that just in, in general, the, the transition to fifth grade is overwhelming for some of our students, even when we're in the normal model. So um, we, are, we are in deep discussion about it that we don't have uh, specific plans except for um, we're strongly considering typically students in fifth grade get their schedules at the beginning, um, the first day of school. And although we may not give the entire schedule, we are strongly considering that the fifth graders would um, learn who their advisor is. And our advisory program each year gets stronger and stronger. And um, what we believe has, you know, uh, a, a really strong connection socially, emotionally, it's a go-to person. So um, providing that um, connection with the advisor. If we're allowed to um, be face-to-face, -face, you know, find out a way that the advisory group could come together. If we're not, then doing some sort of Zoom with that advisory group, which is a small group of kids. It's, you know, 10 to 13 kids typically in that. And that, that platform would at least provide uh, an area of, obviously, relationship building, um, questions to be answered just about how everything runs. Right now, we don't know how lockers are going to run specifically, and we don't know, um, you know, we're trying to do um, minimal movement, not no movement, but minimal movement. So some of the things we can't answer now, um, but we think that that connection with the advisor would at least provide, you know, some anxiety lowering and relationship building. Thank you, Rebecca, for that question. Thank you, Melissa. We are keenly aware that this is the transition for students, especially when they're changing communities, um, could be overwhelming, but it's also uh, reassuring and heartening for us to remember that kids are incredibly resilient. And um, I know that more than anything else, they'll just be thrilled to be back in a routine. And I, I just want to add on one thing, since um, typically we have a fifth grade orientation as well. And if we can be in person, that will that will happen. You know, um, that this advisory piece would be if um, if that wasn't allowed or we might just do that anyway. But the fifth grade orientation in some respect will happen as well, where the kids can see all of the fifth grade teachers. And right now. And based on everything we're seeing, I right now, I think that could be in person. And we're hoping that it stays that way. So this is a question that from my will-be fourth grader. She wants to know about the supply situation. It's a very, very good question for your fourth grader, soon to be fourth grader. Thank you for asking that. I'll take that one. Um, and Melissa, feel free to jump into. Um, so one thing that we, one change we are making is instead of, uh, you know, the, the hallmark of the community supplies and 
um, it, that, that's, we're going to go to individual student supplies next year. So um, each person having their own set of pencils, uh, scissors, glue, all of those types of things. Um, and that uh, is, is a safety measure for them. Uh, there's still details to be worked out, but that's um, one change that we're gonna make. My other question to that, and we came in in second grade, and I think that might've been the change that it happened, that the tuition had been increased by 2% to compensate for supplies. Are the school providing supplies and like breaking them into little kid kits? Are we doing supplies? I, I can answer that. Good morning. So there are some supplies still, the, the parent supply list like three years ago was, it was like literally like an entire Target um, shopping cart filled. And so we decided to say, we decided what can we buy bulk at school, you know, charge a small amount and we'll take care of like the big of the bulk stuff. But there are still some supplies that we feel individual students should, should purchase themselves. So the same thing is happening this year. Um, when you go on, I believe they're posted, but I'll double check. When you go on to the website to look at the supplies, you'll see the list that only parents need to buy. And then what we'll do is each child needs some sort of individual container that they can travel with throughout the day. And, but things like um, pencils, pens, um, I think glue sticks, you know, things like that, the school will purchase divide up for each child, that child will put it into their um, individual case. But like, I think s s there's some scissors, I don't know, and stuff that for us to buy in bulk is super expensive. Um, it wouldn't be worth it, we put on the list. If I understand correctly, back then, I think it was a $25 charge as opposed to 2%, but. I think, you're, I think that's accurate. Okay, I, we came in right when that was implemented, so I just, I didn't know. And, Coming from public school, we had the long, long list of things to buy. You know, and Sarah, one thing that I want to add is that, you know, we know that kids are going to be kids and they may grab somebody else's glue stick or somebody else's scissors. And we have, I don't even know the number. I want to say thousands and maybe that's an overestimate gallons of um, hand sanitizer, which is on its way or even arrived to school. And if a child does that, then they get a little squirt of hand sanitizer they rub their hands and they move on. So we're not going to make it, we're not going to be the kind of school that won't allow touching or an accidental grabbing a glue stick or a pencil and some hand sanitizer and then the child will move on without fear. We're, we're happy to answer other questions. I have a question. Um, and sorry if you already addressed this and I missed it. I had to step away for a second. Just tell me if you did. But how do you envision the Hebrew portion of the day are we still thinking that we'll move uh, oh you mean the kids would travel so the the um we're still the hebrew part the, the kids won't there'll still be the hebrew part because that's obviously essential to what we do the kids will not in most likelihood will not move the teachers will move to the kids um so that way the kids will be located in one space um it will probably we're still working out exactly what space it'll be in the building so maybe a different space but the kids will be in their group and the teachers will move to that group and if there's a small uh you know a smaller group need for support the, it'll, it will be in that in that same area so kids will be doing 
less moving around for their groups, but because they're all in the same, you know, Hebrew Judaics group for the whole, for the whole time, there'll be really no need for the kids to move around and that'll allow them to still keep their distance and the teachers will move to them. Um, so that'll be, that may look different to them, but they'll get into the routine of just having, being with their same group and the teachers coming to them. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Uh, you, you touched on in your introduction uh, tuition and it was brought up uh, briefly, but I feel like the elephant in the room, uh, are there going to be any changes in our uh, expected tuition payment? I'll take that one. Um, no, we're gonna follow the same policy. It's, most people follow a 10 month plan beginning in July and going through April. Um, we're sticking with that. Uh, for those of you who receive tuition assistance, um, I, I'm very far behind on the process, uh, the but about 11 p.m. last night, I think I finished preparing the file to generate the letters to go out. So I think they'll be out by Monday once we uh, get it, once I get some help to generate those letters. So uh, the process essentially is the same as before. And if anyone has any issues or questions, they can contact me via email or phone. Um, you talked about Hebrew where the teachers will come to you. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Okay. And well, what about, what are we looking at in terms of like recess and lunch and talking about going to other specialty classes or having other specialty classes? What is the, as of right now, the plan for that or the discussion for that? So I'll ask John to talk about lunch and I want Andrea to talk about recess. So for lunch, um, all the guidance I think that you can find anywhere is that we should not bring all the kids to the cafeteria in a big group. Um, so our plan is to have lunch in the classrooms or potentially outside if we can do that, if the weather's nice. Um, lunch will be delivered to classrooms. One big change that we'll all have to go through training on, including and maybe even especially the parents, is a new app that we're going to roll out, I hope, uh, where parents will uh, load up money in their students' accounts and order lunch on their phone or on their tablet or on their computer, um, select menu items. You can do it days in advance, maybe a, maybe a week or two in advance. We're not that far along yet, um, but we're going to um, eliminate all kinds of payments at the school and and we won't take cash or anything because students won't be going to the cafeteria. Um, gotcha. But again, parents can order. You'll be able to see the menu um, far in advance and, and choose um, what your student will have for lunch that day. The, the, assuming we use the software that we're very close to committing to, it's pretty slick. It'll, it'll put out a, a sticker with your student's name and what they ordered. It'll go on their container. We'll make sure we have a list of what's going to each classroom. Um, we're working very hard to make it a smooth process, but I'm sure it'll be a little rocky at the start just because we're going to have to get used to delivering three or four or 500 lunches to rooms every day. So who would be in charge of doing the delivering? Are you still going to have parent volunteers or will we not be doing that? Or we don't know yet. We might have parent volunteers. We really don't know yet. Um, okay. we're, we're, but, but I've already warned all the people on my team that uh, and, and some of our other administrators have been saying that everyone in the building is going to have to be um, used to doing things they haven't done before. So it's sure. going to be all on deck to make sure we can get the kids on time. So, Andrea, before you chime in about um, recess, Carrie, I do want to just respond to one thing. And in, in terms of um, parent volunteers, the guidance right now is that we limit the number of visitors who come into the sure. building. Okay. However, I think a key... Uh, 
request I'm going to have for everybody next year is just flexibility. And meaning, the gut, we may start with limiting the number of visitors, but then a month in, the recommendations and the guidelines might change. We might be able to relax that a little bit. Um, certainly, anyone who comes in the building will have to fill out the same health questionnaire that students and, and staff members will do every day. Um, but I think we will need to see how things go and we will make adjustments most likely on the fly and then communicate those changes to all parents. Keep tr of course, with keeping the health and safety of our school community at the, the top of our list. I know that Andrea is going to chime in on recess, but something you just said, so I don't want to forget, or I'm sure somebody else talking about how uh, coming in every day that they'll have to answer questions and I'm guessing temperature checks and stuff. I mean, there's hundreds of students. How is that going to work? Like, are you going to have, are we going to have like um, um, different times that different grades come in or something like that? So maybe it's whatever a, order you want to answer my multitude of questions. Let, let me, let me go back to Andrea sure. talk about recess, and then I'm going to have John talk about um, the morning. Thank you. All right, recess, something fun, right? Um, so yeah, we definitely believe in the importance of kids playing, getting outside, um, that kind of social time together, knowing that there, it's um, we, we have the health and safety protocols with that. One thing that I absolutely love about kids is their ability to um, invent and create and um, be, be creative with games and imaginary play and all of those uh, types of things. So, um, for example, last year I actually saw, you know, I think it was uh, in the second and, and third grade recess, <clears throat> excuse me, kids were, uh, they, they started their own racing games. Like they were, um, and then they, they adjusted those of, okay, now let's try it this way. And it's a non-contact uh, social distancing way of playing. And there are all way, kinds of ways that they can do, uh, they can make up a non-contact um, way to play even games of tag. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll be creative, I have no doubt, and figure out ways for them to um, still get their fun and their interaction and their socialization in. Um, we will also actively teach um, um, some ways to play or some activities or some games that aren't, that don't involve um, a, a lot of close um, contact either. Um, and we, our PE staff already knows of quite a few. Uh, one thing we do in morning meeting a lot of the time anyway is um, we play, we have games and activities and the um, classroom is actually can be an active place with different brain breaks and stuff. And so some of those things can be actually taken outside. There's going to be lots of opportunities for that. And so uh, it still is our plan on that being a daily part of our day. Great. Okay, so I wanna get back to the question that came up, some good questions into the chat that we can just sort of lump in together. Um, so first, John, can we just talk about where, what our thinking is right now with respect to temperature checks? Yeah, well, I guess the first part of the answer is that we have to wait and see what the guidelines are from the state. Uh, most places now are, places of business are requiring temperature checks for their employees um, because it's recommended by the CDC and other organizations. We're gonna rely on the guidance that we have at the time, um, including our medical advisor, 
Um, but there are two different possibilities. One could be, if it's allowable, that parents could take temperatures of their children at home and report it in an app that we would provide. They could also answer the health questions. Um, I think we're going to have to use that to answer the health questions because the younger kids really can't answer the questions. So I think parents will be required to enter some information before they leave for school every morning. Um, and and I, ideally, in my personal opinion, I, I, I would hope we could accept the temperature check from home as well, which would make our operation of entering into the school much easier. Um, if we do have to take temperatures at the school, I think we will have to have staggered starts. It's just too many students coming at once. Um, we haven't worked out that exact schedule. Um, we, we would try to stagger it as little as possible to keep the, the school day as close to uh, I'll call normal as it has been in the past. I agree that someone could be asymptomatic, but we could also catch someone who, who has become ill or a parent missed that they were ill. Um, so uh, again, we're going to rely on the guidance from authorities and our medical advisor of what our final policy is. It's not finalized yet. I, I do want to add also with respect to temperature checks and uh, monitoring health, we recognize that kids are going to get colds and they're going to get stomach bugs and they're going to get other viruses that are out there and it's not necessarily COVID. In fact, it's likely um, based on the data that we have now, it's most likely not COVID. Uh, and so we want you to know that we recognize that and we will come up with a sensible policy to protect the health and the safety of staff and students and families also, while but the key word in there would be sensible, recognizing that COVID is not the only thing that will be circulating out there. And we know that kids will just get plain colds with a runny nose. Um, with respect to the question about masks and social distancing, um, all of the guidelines right now are saying that um, kids, we need to maintain, so, uh, phys not social, I like to use the word physical distancing as much as possible. One possibility that we are considering, and again, I'm not making any promises or saying this is our policy, but one of the options is that when children are in there, the CDC is calling it a bubble, we're gonna call it a bua, which is Hebrew for bubble. When um, children are in their bua, in their bubble, or in their classroom, we might not have them wear masks, but when they are in the hallways and an arrival and dismissal, when one bua is interacting with another bua, then we might require them to wear masks as long as it is, de it is developmentally appropriate. We recognize that we need to find that balance, or as my, my colleague Kim said, that sweet spot of maintaining health and safety in our community while at the same time not scaring children and requiring them to do something that um, might not be necessary. We have a wonderful medical advisor who we consult with weekly. Um, there are the CDC guidelines. We're waiting to hear the details from the state. It may take us some time and we may delay um, communicating this policy until August, because that will then give us the most information with which to find that sweet spot. It's not an easy decision, believe me. Well, I hope that answers your question. And I'm sorry, I forget who, uh, Carrie, I hope that answers your question with the information that we have right now. So I have a going into fourth grade and then I have a new to the school um, incoming first grader. 
and her concern and also my concern and the limiting people in the building is pickup. I'm presuming everybody's not going to come in and wait in the lobby, but I'm just imagining the pickup line with everyone doing it. Like, how are you, how are you going to do that? Are you going to have more staff? And I don't know how that's, how that, how's that going to work? We don't, we don't have an exact plan right now. However, when we do make the plan, if we decide on staggered um, arrival and dismissal times, the youngest children will be taken into the, the strongest consideration. So we had an ECC meeting um, yesterday, you know, about uh, the possibly using a different entrance and exit for them than the main door. And then next we would look at the kindergarten, first graders and second graders to be sure that um, if they need, if parents aren't allowed in the house, that we do it safely and that they're not bombarded by seventh and eighth graders as they're trying to find a parent. So we don't have an exact plan, but we for sure will, will consider that. A couple questions came in the chat. If we do have to turn to remote learning, will there be mandatory specialties as opposed to voluntary? Science and gym should be mandatory. So let's first start with just that question. Um, so one of the things that the Ed task force will be looking at is, uh, you know, what does the student's day look like? Whether we are remote, whether we're flexible, you know, what do all these, um, what does the day look like for each type of student? So um, that is, as those days are designed, that's what we will, um, um, let you know about. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that when we went into this, we originally thought it was going to be three weeks and then we adjusted from that um, and went into, you know, okay, now it's going to be uh, extended time and now it's going to be the rest of the year. So um, we know that what we had in the spring was a great um, platform for us to, to learn a lot and we got a lot of feedback from you guys and um, we know that there are adjustments that need to be made going into the fall should we be remote. So likely the remote portion of the day will be, um, or of the school year will be um, uh, different than it was in the spring. It'll have a different type of flow and schedule to it. Um, there will be more synchronous um, time, especially since we can ensure that every student K through fourth grade will have a school owned device, which was a big piece, huge piece to this. Um, so we will have a lot more opportunity for um, live interaction with teachers um, daily, uh, instructional time daily. Um, I, I have to really say I love what our specialty team did in the last few weeks of putting together live classes every single day and there were things that students can tune into and um, so we absolutely value our specialty classes and those will be um, a part to that. It will, it will be designed with the Ed Task Force. And of course art and music matter also as Erica chimed in and couldn't agree more. Uh, okay, so will there be flexibility if we ha if we have staggered st staggered start times? Taking into consideration some parents may have kids at different schools. Uh, I think that yes, uh, if you have to get to another school to pick up a child and 
five minutes after this particular grade dismisses, we'll handle that on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, you know, some models that schools use for dismissal is that there's a series of people with walkie-talkies and that there's a, and maybe this already happens at Hillel, I, I don't know, but the parent would drive up with the child's last name in the dashboard and someone with a walkie-talkie would clue someone in on the outside, on the inside, to walk that child out to the door and then that child gets into the car. So we're limiting the number of people who are, number of children who are cross, crossing paths at the same time. Um, that, that's one possibility. Um, I do wanna speak about the flexible model that Karen brought up. Um, so the flexible model, the one that we're calling flexible is uh, when there is, when on-campus learning is um, going on, when the building is open, and what do we do for families and students who uh, choose for whatever reason not to be in the building? That is the model that is the hardest to plan for because we want to get it right. Um, I'm gonna let Melissa and maybe Marnie speak to that also, but I do wanna say this is a good opportunity for me to put my, my plug and my request in. Tomorrow morning, I believe it's at around 10 o'clock, there will be a survey that is coming from me and some others on the leadership team asking a number of questions that are important for us to know. One of those questions will be what your plans are for next year at this time. Once we have, an, and I'm asking for 100% participation from one person in each household, one parent. Once we know the number of families who may be in the category of not returning their child to the building, even if the building is open, that will directly affect the plans that we have for the flexible model. So I can't answer what that would look like until we have the data. Once we have the data, then we will be in a position to make plans for the Ed Task Force and communicate that to you. Has there been discussion about starting school in August? So what is interesting is that we, um, there has been discussion, and I'm not saying that it is not possible, but where the discussion is going in the, in the field of education, and I've been on more webinars that I care to ever be on again, and discussion groups, and is that the trend seems to be keeping your start times as they are now, which may be not opening up early, but maybe keeping your start times as they are now to give the, the virus the chance to even uh, decrease even more. So that's sort of what our thinking is, thinking is right now. If there are any changes to our start time, of course, we would communicate that as soon as we know. And, and I just, yes, and I just wanted to add on to that, that there, because there's so much change and that we need our teachers to be trained and to be aware and to be prepared as best as possible for our, our students, it's really important that they have that time in August to, to work together, collaborate, and learn. Thank you, Melissa, for adding that. That's very important. Melissa, there's actually a question for you at the bottom of the chat. Yes, we are committed to making more synchronous learning for K-4. I have a question. Um, I know there's like always summer slide and I know the teachers did such an amazing job um, with remote learning. Now, at the beginning of every year, there's some kind of evaluation for each student. 
Um, will there be additional support services available to get a child at where they should be um, just because maybe of like some kind of slide somewhere? Um, so again, we're still in the planning stages and, and I think Melissa and Andrea can speak to this also that we have to, in a situation like we're in, take a more broad approach and maybe adjust the curriculum to account for that rather than providing individual support services to the majority of the kids that just, first of all, we couldn't provide effective support services if our staff were seeing more people on a caseload that they can handle. So adjusting the curriculum would best meet uh, the broader need of our student body. Um, and then of course, for those students who require maybe more than just an adjustment in curriculum, then that is when we would offer additional support services. So like we do every year, um, we will be evaluating Evaluating, um, not like evaluating formally, but assessing for um, what kids are going to be highest need and um, then assigning them a certain level of support based on that need. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Okay. Okay, these are, these are wonderful questions. Um, all of our uh, focus groups have, have really informed our thinking and given us an opportunity to um, sort of verbalize out loud a lot of the, uh, many of the plans that we are working on. So this is very helpful. Does anybody else have any other questions? Um, students that are sent to school with colds, runny noses, how will the school monitor this with the students and staff due to COVID-19 having so many varying symptoms, being proactive, not reactive? So uh, I'll ask, um, John to chime in with this also. It's a, it's a really, um, it's an important question. And this is a tricky one because we know that we get colds. And I think that um, we do want to be proactive, not reactive. And we also will need, we, our health and safety protocols this year and the documentation that we might need, let's say, in order for, if a student does have a slight fever or runny nose, if, if we may require, let's say, a doctor's note to say that it's not COVID, we're not sure at this point because that's an important decision that we don't want to rush. As I said earlier, and, you know, and I wish that I had a specific to give you now, um, as, I said, as we said earlier, we have a medical advisor who we contact or in touch with weekly. We recognize that there are colds and there will be flu and there will be stomach bugs and things that um, are not COVID related. And we will adopt a sensible policy. As soon as we know what that policy is, we will let you know. But certainly, um, if I think we would err on the side of caution that if a child has a runny nose or a, a, a sore throat or a cough, we would have them stay out of school until we receive documentation from a doctor that it's not COVID. Um, and that's where we would, that's where we would settle right now. And if there are any changes to that, we will let you know. I think we're going to have to rely on parents and stress the parents more than ever to err on the side of caution. And, and as Darren mentioned, keep their kids at home if they're showing any kind of symptoms. But 
you know, some of that we're going to have to rely on the parents. Obviously, we can look for it in school and contact parents and have those discussions. But um, I think that's where we land at the moment. I'm not sure if you saw my other question. Um, I'm wondering whether we'll have access to the assignment from Seesaw over the summer. Um, I know that my daughter did not have time to do many, many of the assignments, especially the specials. Um, and I would love to be able to use that as part of what she's doing over the summer. I can grab that one. Long an short answer, yes. Long answer, come fall, probably mid-August, Seesaw will be, will be resetting it for fall, and it'll be much more organized come fall. So it should make things easier for the kids and the families to be able to find an access. When we set Seesaw up this year, we never imagined we'd be using it to the degree it was used. But yes, the short answer is Seesaw activities are staying as they are from now until at least, I would say, August 10th. The child is a cold and we keep home. Would the child switch to online during that short period? That is one of the, um, one of the main uh, items that we are addressing with the flexible model, recognizing that our rate of absenteeism next year might be higher. And in the flexible model, we would like to provide that opportunity for children to access their teachers when they're home. And again, this is the model that requires the most planning. And under Melissa's um, wonderful leadership, that is one of the main charges of the educational task force. Melissa, there's, is there anything that you want to add about that? Yeah, I think, I, I think it just depends on the data we receive and the setup that we, we end up doing. So, but definitely something to consider. But just to set a realistic guideline, though, we're not going to have a camera and a microphone in every classroom. So it, it, we, it won't be that automatically you're going to be able to get into a child's classroom just because your child's home that day. But again, we're trying to work out the details and see how we can best accommodate all families. I'm being mindful of the time. And um, you know, in all honesty, I'm doing a little bit of double duty today. And in about two minutes, I have to switch to a faculty meeting that I'm running for my current school here in Philadelphia. And so um, if there are no additional questions, I just want to again, on behalf of my colleagues, and I see a number of teachers on this call, on behalf of everyone at Hillel Day School, I want to thank you for being here today. I hope that you see that we are, um, we are thinking and planning for a number of scenarios and with, from the perspective of flexibility and a sense of humor and assuming goodwill on everybody's part, we, will, we are working diligently to get your kids back in the building in the healthiest and safest manner. That's what we all want. We all want to be back in our building. And um, we promise to um, continue um, to keep you updated and maintain a regular communication schedule with you. It was wonderful to see you all. I look forward to meeting those of you I haven't met and I really, really look forward to meeting your children. So happy summer and may you all stay healthy and safe. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank Be you. well. Good to see everyone.